podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Um, hey guys, um, welcome to the uh, third, I think this is the third episode of the ATP Weekly Show that we're doing here throughout the clay season and then um, perhaps also throughout the grass. Um, we are meeting just five minutes after the Barcelona final with James. There's also Vange that is going to supposed to be, um, yeah, that's supposed to be uh, coming in uh, pretty sh- uh, shortly as well. Uh, Mario is out this week, but don't worry about him. He's going to be there um, for the next episode as well. Uh, James, welcome to the ATP Weekly Show. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to be a sort of substitute for, uh, substitute, substitute for this week. Yeah, maybe maybe you're gonna be so good that you know we're we're gonna invite you more. You know, this is like a test, basically. <laughs> uh, but don't feel the pressure. No worries. Uh, we're still figuring stuff out. Uh, basically, there's no script whatsoever. Uh, we nope. we have nothing that we really follow. I know John wanted us to talk about uh, the Madrid withdrawals. I Absolutely. wonder if we could start from that because then I guess Vanch will come like for the you know. For the most important parts, and um, I think the withdrawals are like you know you can just sort of go about them. Do you uh, like, want me to read through them? Do you want me to read through them with withdrawals? Come again, sorry. Uh, do you want me to read through them with withdrawals? Uh, if you if you have like uh, you know them in your in your, in your brain on the on the list somewhere, yeah, I don't know, yeah. Cool, because uh, I just got it up from uh, okay from that great website Darts Tennis, which uh, tends tends to be oh, very yeah. good when it comes to the sources. Um, so we can see that Djokovic, Sinner, Nadal, Berrettini, Chilich, Kyrgios, Nakashima, Bonzi, Draper, Yima, Isner, Brooksby, Coria, Kwan, Rindanesh, Delalin, and per- uh, Pereira are all out, which I think numbers 17. That's quite a lot, right? I mean, it's usually not like that. That's a think. huge amount, a huge amount of players. I mean, of course... Uh, the big names are, of course, Djokovic, Sinner, and, and Nadal. Uh, but all out, Nadal. We, I think we've all known his his injury problems and this up in the air, really, really up in the air situation he's in with his body um, and where he feels he is when it comes to his tennis game. I mean, you know, the fact that he's pulled out Madrid, he's pulled out, you know, with Barcelona, Madrid, him being Spanish, those being two tournaments that you'd think he would he would move heaven and earth to want to actually get back into. Well, he's get himself into a fit, fit, fit state um, to to play into. If he cannot attend for that, it puts Rome at doubt, which I know is one of his other favourite tournaments. And then, you know, looking a little bit further than that, you know, if he does not, if he's not at Rome, unless he plans to play Lyon or Geneva, which he would highly doubt that he would ever he'd ever play those two tournaments. I know Medvedev did it last year when he came back from his hernia, but this is Nadal, and you know, it's another level. It puts the French Open at doubt, which is bizarre to say, to give given his track record there. And I know he, he, him and his team will be pushing unbelievably hard to get him back for back for Roland Garros. But you know, if he goes in cold, you know, uh, you know, would, would he be able to win the title? Of course, you know, I know, I know, we're going really far into the future there. Um, but you know, we know a lot of people last year, given the poor way he went into Roland Garros, you know, with, with the loss to um, Shapovalov in Rome. Uh, and the tight one with Alcaraz in Madrid, that people were questioning if he could win well on Garros, and then went, went there and near enough Kate walked it. So, you know, I mean, anything's possible when it comes to Nadal there, so that's a big one. Djokovic, I know, you know leading into what happened in Bakaluka um, this week, his his arm, or at least when it comes to his, his elbow, doesn't seem to have actually been healing that well, uh, and he's really not in a great state when it comes to that elbow. We saw with the compression, comp- comp- 
compression sleeve that he was wearing not only in his matches in Monte Carlo but also with his matches in Bacaluca um that you know he, he's clearly not there's clearly a problem there I mean you don't need and as much as the guy who's just won the title Dustin Lalovic um you know is a good player you don't lose to somebody like that if you're Novak Djokovic and you know that's that's going to be an uh, that's going to be another one where it's going to be you know will he be able to be fit for Rome? That's going to be the next test. Now he's defending champion there this year, and he'll want to have a good run at Roland Garros. Uh, and then like we said the other big one, Sinner. I think that's more of an unlucky one. He's got some sort of like flu type illness that he picked up in Barcelona, had to withdraw from his match with Vincetti, uh because of that. Uh, and then the final big name that we could probably state on there would be Berrettini. Um, I'm, I'm, it seems to be the he is one of the most cursed players on this on the 18th floor. He's something with that ab continuously keeps on playing up every single year. Uh, and you know, with him now having to pull out of Madrid, you know, and, and the way in which he had to pull out of Monte Carlo, um, and we know last year he didn't even play Monte Carlo because of that ab injury playing up in the in the Sunshine Double. Uh, and again, does this then risk his his best part of Mer- Berrettini season, which you know, granted is not the clay. It's when we go onto the grass. He's defending champion at both Stuttgart and also Queens. Will he be able to be able to get back in time to be able to defend those titles and actually have a run at Wimbledon? See, so there we go for me. Yeah, 17. Uh, I'm actually quite surprised. I haven't looked at them. Um, you're mm. very right about the recommendation uh, about darts rankings. Just an insane website that I don't know what I would have done. I like what well, you know what I would do without it hmm. if it's if it um stopped working and well uh yeah you're right that perhaps in like the grand scheme of things the only withdrawals that like matter in terms of who's going to win this event it's probably Djokovic Sinner Nadal but hmm. Bertini despite as you said you know being strong in the in the clay season the last time he played Madrid he was the finalist here so I hmm. guess he he still deserves a nod um he even won the first set against Verve yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. It's, it's because of the way. I mean, I know that we for the Madrid preview to take to, for that to happen, but we know with Madrid it acts a lot like a clay court, and also yeah. it acts a lot like a hard court in terms of the speed of the balls through the court. Yeah, that's, that's means, really good means, for him, of course. Yeah, yeah, which means that it works really well for Berrettini um, as a surface, and it's the reason why Zarev is so strong there. Yeah. And uh, Nadal Djokovic, I fully agree with what you said. I, I think by the time, like, um, in Banja Luka, it actually didn't seem like the el- the elbow was um, bothering Djokovic as much as it did in Monte Carlo. Frankly, he even took that sleeve off at some point in one of his matches. But if he is pulling out of Madrid, which especially right now, uh, you know, he, he he pulled out what yesterday, Friday, mm. something like that, right? And uh, Madrid, he, he's he's not he wasn't going to play his first match until Saturday, Friday, something like that, right? That's 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 I think how the one point five week masters are organized so, yeah I, um, I think i think the main i i mean i know this is, this is, this mm-hmm. is speculation but i suspect the main reason why his team decided to pull him out of madrid is that it's just more precautionary precautionary management because of the because of the speed of the balls that are going to be coming at him given the given the limited altitude in madrid um they're going to be quite fast they're going to be quite hard and could you end up accidentally inflaming a situation hello bench uh could, could you know. could you um accidentally end up inflaming a situation with, you, with your elbow if you're subjecting yourself to that sort of force of ball uh, yeah, Vansh, we started talking about the Madrid withdrawals because we didn't want you to miss the good parts. So the uh, the actual talk about the tournaments. Um, anything you have to add, basically, on you know Nadal, Djokovic, Sinner, Berrettini, and all the other players being out? 
I think you muted him yourself, or maybe I did that. Yeah. I don't know. The Nadal thing was uh, not much of a surprise. I think, you know, we've been hearing murmurs for, for a while now that, uh, you know, especially, I mean, it looks 50-50 even for Roland Garros at this point. Um, the Novak thing, the elbow is a little bit concerning, actually. Um, I think uh, there's still enough time maybe before Rome that, to where, like, you know, there's at least another two and a half weeks and he's pulled out. So I think, uh, yeah, I I don't know, because without, without with, with that elbow, how is he going to be able to hit through his serve and his forehand and... It, it is a little bit different from last year and the year before that, where he's sort of run it into form by the time Roman Roland Garros comes on, and then he really sort of peaks. Uh, the sinner, uh, did he give a reason for the withdrawal? Uh, I just know that he was sick and he didn't pull out of Barcelona. I'm assuming it's a continuation of that. Yeah. He probably just wants to be at his best for Rome. So I think yeah. that, that makes sense. And then, yeah, Berrettini has uh, yeah, been injury-prone for some time now, so... Yeah, if they if they don't get a single warm up, I mean Djokovic and Nadal before Ron Garros, that's when you, you have to start worrying a lot. Right yeah. now, you know, we saw what Nadal did at Ron Garros last year without basically any warm up in that he was so awful and so injured. And then he shows up in Paris and wins it. So um but of course he has been like exceeding expectations uh, for the past twenty years and, and so so is Djokovic of course. Um, so I guess we could just move on to the to the events then, uh, since you're here, and um, it would be very natural, I think, to talk about Barcelona, which is the, of course, the only 500 there, but also probably the least exciting event this yeah. week. Is that true? What do you think, guys? No, I don't think so. Actually, um, it was pretty much very chalky, like uh, you know, with the exception of you know Casper Ruud like not getting there. But mm-hmm. apart from that, you know, I would have been very surprised if someone other than Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, or Sinner or Rude like won the whole thing. So that's kind of what panned out in the end, right? Yeah, and we had Carlos Alcaraz just completely dismiss Stefanos Tsitsipas today in the final. No sets yeah. lost on the way to the title. So I guess we just need to sort of talk about um, maybe. Okay, let's start talking about the final. Is there something that you know, with Alcaraz in this form? With Alcaraz playing on clay, is th- is there something that Tsitsipas should be like? What could he do against such such player? Because well, Tsitsipas, we've always been saying that Ron Garros is his best shot at a big title. Of course, his Master Thousand titles came in Monte Carlo. Like, what could he do against someone like that? And is there an answer to this question even? Yeah, I mean, like his uh, what he really likes to do is he likes to um, dictate play with his forehand, right? But the problem against Carlos is he leaves a lot of open space on the forehand wing, and it's a lot to defend. Um, you know, and generally he's he, he's pretty elite with his athleticism that he can do it against most guys. But Alcaraz is just going to make him pay and going to keep him locked in the backhand corner. And uh, you know, his his serve plus one is is better than Sitsipas in this match. I mean, that that already is a is a big red flag if you're Stefanos that uh, you know it's going to take something really really special to you know fight against that. He was up on an early break in the in the first set, right? He was two one up, but. Uh, it didn't really last very long, honestly, and there weren't really many advantages for him in this. At the, at the moment, it's where it stands, there's not many advantages for him in this in this matchup. It's kind of like the Djokovic matchup right now. But but I would certainly tend to agree with that. I mean, Bantz has covered it pretty good there. Um, I saw yeah, I saw some some, some final analysis as well. We showed that. I mean, uh, uh, Alcaraz 
played very well. I've been able to actually go keep keep sticking it into Steph's um, backhand, which was I think was a, was a key was a key factor with this game. It was a key factor for any player on the tour if they want to get any success against this offense. It hasn't that that backhand hasn't improved in the last few mm-hmm. years. And when you're a player that is evolving and adapting as well as Alcaraz, you're just going to make mincemeat of that situation. It's going to be you know pretty much like another day at the office uh, to be able to go right, hits the backhand, get a meager return back to me, and then be able to you know be the conductor for the rest of the point. And that's what and that's what happened throughout the entirety of that match. Is what we could have all predicted at the start of the match, uh, and it's what's happened in the three matches that have taken place previously. Yeah, with how strong Alcaraz is getting to be on clay and like probably how good Rune is probably going to be on clay in a year or two, uh, it actually might be that Tsitsipas will now have to look at yeah Australia. At, at, well, New York, he's never done well at, um, even though there's no, uh, not, not really a clear clear reason why, right? But um, I think he might actually start have to looking for his slam chances someplace else probably. You know, even last year he lost to Rune at Roland Garros, which of course back then was still a bit of a random result. Uh, it's not going to be random if it happens this time. And and yeah, for Tsitsipas, just matches like this. But frankly, he was he also wasn't really playing at his best level all week, right? Um, right. He, he he was involved in a big struggle with Musetti. In general, the last couple of months have been pretty tough for Tsitsipas. So I'm also not saying that this was like the best he could play and that this was the form of his life. But then he just comes into final and Alcaraz destroys him that that's not really the case uh but certainly the, the this final just never really felt felt in doubt at any at any single point and since Alcaraz won it you know without uh, without dropping a set uh, such a display of strength in Barcelona um do you well who could stop him at Ram Garros according to you like is there is there a chance that he loses there this year I think this is actually a reasonable question right now which uh, might sound funny but um, you know, for a, for a guy who's just uh, gonna turn 20 during the event and lost in the quarterfinals last year, but he just seems to have a very clear edge over anyone else in the field at the moment. I mean, certainly you have to put him as the number one favorite right now, just with the question marks surrounding Djokovic and Nadal. I mean, I, I kind of struggle to put anyone else ahead of him at this point. Like, it feels like those three guys are tier one, like when, you know, Djokovic and Nadal when they're healthy and, and Alcaraz and then kind of the next tier would be like Tsitsipas and um, Sinner and Rude and players like that, Holger. Like, I, so I, like the, yeah, sorry, I, go ahead. I would very much go along those lines of I think the only two players that have the talent and the potential to be able to beat um, Alcaraz at the moment would be Nadal and Djokovic on clay. The, 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 they are the only two that, a, that that have the skills in their arsenal to be able to do to be able to pull, pull off such a, a such a result. I feel as though if you had a final that was say Sitsipas versus Alcaraz, it would be probably a straight three sets to um, to Alcaraz. And, and you know, it's it's weird because we're saying that in it, it, well, I'm saying it in a sort of a vein of slight it's like being slightly terrifying <laughs> to wait to be able to say that we kind of want to go into events with a little bit of an idea of at least three or four different favourites that are going to go into there. And we want to see those that really push each other to every minuscule, you know, minuscule, I say second as an F1 reference, but as every minuscule percent um, on the court to make, you know, to make it as, as competitive as possible. But at the moment, you know, if, if we have a Nadal that isn't right and we have a Djokovic which isn't right, the only person you can see winning it would be Alcaraz. Yeah, I actually think he might have a chance to lose against like Sinner or Rune just because if they play each other, they seem yes. to be like, 
um, we've talked about it a few times, but when they actually face each other, you don't really see the whole difference that there that exists when they play the other part of the tour. Like when they play anyone else on the tour, Alcaraz is 100% better than Rune Sinner. But when they face each other, you don't really see it. Of course, with Rune, there's, there's a bit less um, sample size in that. They've only played twice. But with Sinner, we've already seen it a few times. And um, still, they would have to get to play Alcaraz, which of course requires a few wins already. And they have their own question marks and etc. So so yeah, it's just gonna be like a, unless Djokovic and Nadal pull up in Rome, uh, they have a very good event. Coming into Ron Garros, we we'll, we'll probably be treating Carlos Alcaraz the same way we do I don't know Iga Świątek on the WTA side, I think. And uh, especially when you think if, about his tournament last year, he struggled with Ramos Vinolas in the second round. That's not really gonna happen now, right? I'm, and I'm not talking about Ramos Vinolas specifically, just something like that, a tricky player. And uh, he's coming, uh, he, he of course lost to Zverev in the quarters, that's not happening. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, you, I think one of the favorite. key things, because I know you bring up about Sinner there, is that when you look at the, the situations in which Sinner has beaten Alcaraz, especially when you look at the hard court and the clay court, both situations, Alcaraz really wasn't at his best in both in both in, in both in both instances. You look at the one in um, Umag at the other at the uh, uh, yeah. You look at Umag. He was he was coming back and he was really trying to make sure that he was getting some matches in before, before heading onto the onto the American hard courts and had a weird record where he was not playing well in finals at that at that point. Uh, and then when it came to Miami, you know, he just come off the back of winning Indian Wells and then doing all the matches in Miami at the same time that. There was a, a degree of degree of fatigue that took place with um, with Alcaraz. So, you know, again, if, if that the final took, if like a match took place in like the quarter semis or final with it, that involved Yannick Sinner, I would still expect as long as Alcaraz, you know, all things being equal, and Alcaraz not coming in with some sort of bad bad element to it, um, for him to be able to at least win that match. Yeah, my biggest question mark with Alcaraz is actually on the physical side. So not mm-hmm. so much like the stamina or the endurance because he showed that at the U.S. Open. I mean, he spent over 24 hours on court, you know, late into the nights and late recovery times and still, you know, recovered pretty plenty enough and then had to rely on a serve in the fourth set against Rude to win the whole thing. But but it's these little niggles and injuries that he sort of picks up in, in these tournaments where like, you know, even in the center match, he sort of died for a second serve return. And then uh, in a split second, he kind of, because he's like he has that never say die attitude where he chases every single point down that like no human on the planet can even chase at times even even Alcaraz included but he's always going to try and so I just wonder like if he is a little bit smarter about that in terms of like letting some points go like when he's love 40 or 40 love up or love 40 down and stuff like that but it's really difficult to, for me to sit here and say that because like those qualities make him like the player that he is and he's like you know, you don't want to mess with like that psychology, and then that could have other ramifications like later down the line. But I, but I definitely think like that's like the only question mark. Like Madrid and Rome, like will he be healthy through that entire stretch? Will he play both events? Will like you know, will something random sort of physical transpire like when he's trying to chase a certain shot? That would be like maybe my own only major this thing. And then of course when he plays center like that matchup where we have a bigger sample size. But then like we've made clear like center. It's not the same against the rest of the field, like uh, like Alcaraz is. He's really um, different in, in that step, right? Because Al- yeah. Sinner is still developing as a player. Like Sinner still has physical improvements that he's making. Alcaraz more or less is already physically developed and very complete, right? Yeah, even though he's two two years younger, of course. Yeah. Um, um, I forgot what I wanted to say, but uh, yeah, you're quite right that I think um, 
that this sort of unbelievable gets that he performs, you know, that, that incredible defense, even though maybe sometimes it's not even that smart, that, that's just part of who yeah. he is, I think. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it, it would be, it would be tough to stop that. And uh, it, it would also make him a less exciting player, I suppose, which right. maybe isn't necessarily going to give you titles, but you know, it's good for you in terms of like marketability and, and etc. But yeah. I mean, um, I, I mean, you know, uh, it's a, I think it's a really good point that Vance has made there about is there bits where he could just let it go. I'm sure when it comes to early stages of certain tournaments, he could just let it go because nobody's going to be, you know, if you think about, as you say, uh, I mean, about um, marketability, or, you know, and I know shots being on highlight reels, you know, have them for when you're playing Stepanos, it's playing Novak Djokovic and you, and you can really do, and you can really highlight those things to the world. When you're, you know, first round playing, I don't know, uh, I can use that as an example, but you know, if you're going to be like first round playing somebody ranked 90 in the world, you don't need to be, you know, doing diving volleys at four, when, when you're 40 love up to try and get the point. You can just let that go because you are going to be that person who's ranked 90 in the world. You are that good. Yeah, I mean, k- kind of fair. Um, but the Carlos Alcaraz and Stefano Tsitsipas were not the only players in Barcelona. Um, let's talk about some other guys who impressed us in the field. Maybe Dan Evans. How does he keep doing, guys? How does he keep uh, somehow grinding out these clay court wins despite a game that should not work on clay whatsoever? That is a very good question um, when, it, when it comes to Dan, because Dan's favorite surf, first surface is the grass. Um, you know, we know that the fact that he picked up the challenger title in Nottingham, um, Nottingham last year, that is a surface that he feels very comfortable on. Um, and you know, it's a bit, um, and he, you know, part of his game, of course, is that slice backhand, and that slice backhand works really well on surfaces where the ball stays low. What Dan seems to have been able to do, and what was quite notable in the um, in, in the match with um, Sarundalo, was that he was able to keep his forehand errors to an absolute minimum, and that's where usually on clay and on some high bounce, high bouncing um, hard courts, Dan can be caught out because that because that you know sort of high bouncing you know that, that high, those high bouncing those courts. He can be forced into a lot of unforced errors with that forehand, and then that that reaps a lot of those a lot of those issues. Dan just seems to have been able to have found a little bit of a little bit of form quite recently. Um, he's able to, you know, use all different types of shots in his arsenal, especially bringing into play that forehand much more than he does in, in, in on, say, a hard court or a grass court, and that's sort of brought about a lot of these victories um, you know, that we've been seeing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, on you know, obviously we saw what he did like in Monte Carlo a couple of years ago, and then he went on a run uh, on hard courts as well in Canada last year. But uh, Evans does have some qualities that you know make it very tricky to play against him on clay because he's so patient from the baseline and because he uses his slice so so well to set up the forehand. He has more time to also run around his backhand and maybe you know like have an easier time like generating offense than he would like let's say on a you know on a on a speedy hard court. It's like kind of a more even playing field and you know then like maybe some some days if his serve is not firing, for instance. He could be just overpowered by a lot of players, but on on clay he can definitely protect that a lot more. And um, like I thought, he did a very good job, especially in the match against Hachinov. He ha- he leads that head-to-head 4-0, and I kind of understand why. It's because he's able to really keep the ball so low and like slice down the line to Hachinov's forehand, which we know is like you know is a big stroke, big wind up. You know, he has a kind of a funky Western grip. It's pretty extreme. And so, uh, and he's able to like draw players forward with his with a short slice and backhand, and then he can he sort of plays the cat and mouse points I think very well and uses his he has good IQ because he doesn't he's not the biggest guy he doesn't have the biggest weapons, 
So it's it's more about putting your opponent in awkward positions and then pulling the trigger on the right shot. And I, and I think when he catches a bit of form like this, he can get pretty dangerous. But then obviously when he plays Al- Alcaraz, it was a it was a never in doubt like the result. You, you knew it was going to be very straightforward for Carlos to generate pace off of the slice. Yeah, he definitely plays just some very smart tennis. And as you said, he doesn't have maybe the physicality of, of a top player, which kind of forced him to develop that. And, yeah. and yeah, I think that that's that's how he's doing it. I mean, he's very scrappy. He just knows what to do to make the opponents uncomfortable. And that's that's been getting uh, getting him uh, quite, quite a, a good of competitor, good I think. Yeah, quite oh, a yeah. Good, like, as a competitor. He's very steely and feisty and... because of like his um attitude sometimes people tend to think that he's actually not a good competitor right but that's that's not really the case yeah Yeah. i I would totally agree with that and we also had lorenzo musetti make a very good run um once again after monte carlo is there something you know that has woken up in lorenzo musetti uh how uh how far do you see this taking him sort of you know that that momentum from from monte carlo and barcelona I, I think Madrid is going to be a little tougher for him, just with the with the altitude. Um, he doesn't tend to do very well in altitude conditions. Obviously, doesn't uh, get the most out of his serve at this point. I'm really, I'm wondering to see just how quickly he sort of improves that, so he can get a little better on the other surfaces as well. And yeah, I mean, Musetti is such a fun player to watch. Obviously, you know, with the variety that he has in his game and the the amount of things he can do with his backhand, but also his forehand, he just gets a lot more time and he's running around a lot more backhands, especially particularly in the Sitsipas match. And um, he has just so many tools in his uh, in his arsenal. And he was a little lucky, I would say, to get to the semis here. I mean, he didn't have to play center again. So I think that definitely um, helped him out a little bit just because of the match in Monte Carlo. I think, you know, that was pretty one-sided uh, for sinners. Uh, but uh, I think I, th- I think he's still sort of carried that form over from Monte Carlo. And it's a, it's a positive result because he had a very poor start to the year, as we know. I mean, he had just one win against a top 100 player um, until... Yeah, until Monte Carlo, basically. So, uh, I'm wondering I mean, to see what he can do in Rome, in Rome with the Italian crowd, and that's where he kind of first announced himself, right? In 2020, in the fall, yeah. where he picked up those wins against Wawrinka and Nishikori, and then people were talking about him as a dark horse into Roland Garros, those couple of editions. So, I think he's sort of back on track. Would you say more or less? I would, I would certainly say that yeah, the inconsistency and looking into the future, the inconsistency is going to be the key thing that he's going to have to get get control over. Because as we've seen, when he is on it, he is on it, and he, you know, we, I think that the Hamburg final of last year, I think, you know, is, is, a, is a major, is a major showing of, of when he is on, he can he can beat anyone in the world, and he and he has the variety in his game to be able to do that. You know, of course, what we are seeing is that a lot of his big results are coming on clay, um, and, and I think as Van says, that needs to be improved, um, and that in terms of other surfaces that he can that he can start to be to be strong on, especially the hard courts, or something he's going to have to target if he wants to. You know, if he wants to be breaking into the into the top, he's certainly into the top twenty. I think he has broken into top twenty at a yeah. point. But um, yeah. if you want yeah. to get, you know, I know a lot of people have been predicting that Massetti would be getting into their top ten of their lists this year. If he wants to actually get there and to meet a lot of those people's predictions, those hard courts need to be need, need to see improvements. Um, it'd be interesting because I've not actually had a proper look at him on the grass courts to see how how he performs on grass. I think um, I'm hoping he would be able to something there but i guess he's not going to be that good um on that bit there but yeah like i mean like i said it was not a great start to the year he went onto the clay of course for the south american clay's court swing 
that didn't work out. He didn't get a single victory at all, and uh, I just ended up probably being an expensive endeavour for him to go down there uh, in, in the end um, for no apparent reason. But yeah, inconsistency needs to be worked on um, so that he can really maximise that potential. Yeah, for me, uh, we talked about Advanch, I think, on the show that we did together last week, right? That's like, yeah. for me, his style is just always going to be a bit inconsistent. He just mm. has so many different ways to win points and yeah, just try guessing which one you should use right now. And uh, yeah, I just think it's going to be very hard for him to uh, to produce consistent results. But certainly getting a quarter, getting a semi here is just really good. Uh, again, yeah, it was a good, win against, uh, again doesn't do it was it. a good win against Cameron Norrie, right? Uh, mm. Because he was down... Uh, a set yeah. and I think some break points for Nori to serve for the match. Um, he was also yeah. struggling with something, I think. I can't remember what it was, but um certainly felt like the, the the senior withdrawal couldn't have come at a better time for him because of that. Yeah. And then he actually gave a very good showing against Tsitsipas. And to answer sort of your um, curiosity, James, uh, he has played uh, four matches on grass in his career and he has never won a set. Cool. It is a bit, <laughs> a, a bit misleading, though, because the opposition was good. Fritz, Hurkacz, Bublik, and, well, Basilashvili maybe not so much, but... Um, they good grass quarters. Know. I mean, I think even Bash, even, even Basilashvili has, has, has some form of um, grass court pedigree, so that's that's not too bad. Yeah. Well, not too bad in terms of it's not something <laughs> we can look at. Not yeah, bad. Yeah. It's bad still losing, but it you know it obviously needs to play more, find some more ways of playing more on grass and getting at least okay draws. Just not really enough experience. Yeah. Mm. Um, guys, is there anything else that we should talk about from Barcelona? I love that stat that um, fifteen out of sixteen seeds went to, went to the went to the third round. The right. one destroying this trend was Tiafo against Rusufuori. Uh But but yeah, I think it all really paints a picture of just a pretty predictable event in that all the favorites went uh, went deep uh, the final was just as predictable as you as you would imagine and of course the winner as well so is there anything else guys that you want to talk about in terms uh, of barcelona maybe alejandro davidovich fokina getting mm-hmm. to the quarterfinals picking up some good wins um because obviously he did well last year in monte carlo and then this year in indian wells uh so you know we know he can be a factor especially on slow clay um just uh, particularly with his shot making and his explosiveness, uh, I think it like his physicality as well really rewards the surface. And he's another guy who has a lot of tools as well. And actually, um, that was maybe Alcaraz's maybe dodgiest performance of the week. Yeah, uh, certainly, right? It was a lot more up and down, a lot more breaks of serve. Certainly, um, yeah, wasn't wasn't as consistent from the baseline and stuff like that. And uh, Davidovich Fukina certainly had chances in both sets, and it was it was competitive. But you know. I was looking forward to that one. I sort of had that circled in my uh, bracket before and was hoping that he would, he and Alcaraz would face each other. And I think it pretty much ended up being what we kind of expected, right? So, but yeah, hopefully Fokina can sort of carry this over and have another good showing at Roland Garros because he made the quarters in 2021 and he's, uh, he's had, this is like where his, all of his best results have really come from. I mean, if you take out Monte Carlo last year, he was an under 0.500 player, right? So. Uh, yeah, I just I hope we see more consistency from Fukina, especially because I think he has all the raw tools and he's one of the fastest players on tour as well, right, Damien? Uh, David Fukina, yeah, I just read in the chat that uh, the WTA show that Nick hosts, by the way, all you guys can feel invited, of course, um, in the chat. And um, I just read that Nick is going to do it with Rene Stops. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's quite Wait, something. Nick Kyrgios has a new has a coach. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought he was uh, uncoachable. 
Well, apparently uh, Djokovic wants to coach him, uh, according to Djokovic's um, last... Yeah. Um, yeah, Djokovic wanted, yeah. Um, Gerard says he's that going is to be doing some trolling, and he should. Uh, come again. <laughs> Do you think that Djokovic saying that, you know, if I coached Kyrgios and he won five slams is just sort of mind games at this point? Because he's suddenly become very buddy-buddy, they've become very buddy-buddy, and, you know, their relationship like five years ago, like Nick was just trashing Djokovic all the time. I was thinking yeah, but... something interesting about that, where um, um, or I heard something interesting about that. It was, like you say, up to five years ago, uh, Nick did not uh, did not respect Djokovic, did not respect Nadal, did not respect Federer, and actually got good results against those players because he didn't respect them. He played his best when yep. he went out and played against them. But Andy Murray, for an, on, on the other hand, exactly. had huge respect for because he was mates with, and he could never get a win against Murray. <laughs> The thing is, it looks as though Djokovic looked at that and saw, right, I'm going to have to get Pally with this guy if I'm going to be able to beat him. He got Pally with him, and then all of a sudden, Djokovic is picking up the wins quite quite yeah. straightforwardly against the against, Of, uh, of course, some of that was also him uh, supporting Novak in the whole like <laughs> deportation thing. Yeah. That might be part of it, but I think there's, mm. there's something there, James. I certainly think, yeah. You know, but did he ever say a word about Roger, though? Like, he was always talking about uh, Rafa and, and Novak, but Roger, I think he no, always respected I, Yeah, I think Roger and Andy, he respected uh, Yeah, I, I think this this is what doesn't work. But also, uh, you're saying that Kyrgios is picking, I mean, that he's losing to them now easily. And that's, I mean, they only played one match with Novak, right? So, um, and it was, I guess, uh, just a phenomenal performance from, from Djokovic. But, um, yeah. Uh, it, that's that's quite interesting for sure. I'm giving uh, I'm giving Ghosty in the chat the, uh, definitely my blessing if he wants to troll Rene Stubbs tomorrow. But, uh, but, but Stubbsy maybe... is someone who who doesn't take crap from anyone, so she's you know. I don't think she will care. Him. I don't I don't oh. think she will care. I, I I just hope he does his best. Uh, let's yeah. maybe uh, move on. To, actually, let's start with Munich, okay, guys, because I just read a phenomenal tweet from Botik van der Zandschuk that I want to just uh, read out. Uh, the tweet is just three words, and it's this one hurts. Oh, and this is what we're going to start with, I guess. The the final, the unbelievable final. Holger Runa beating Botik van der Zanshoop. Uh Yeah, did you guys, you know, survive this? How? What, what was the state of your brain after watching Ooh. this final? <laughs> I started watching in the third set, actually, when Holger was uh, was down 5-2. And I think, uh, yeah, he had two match, Bodek had two match points on his serve at 40-15, 5-2. And, you know, I do I do want to give credit to Holger because I do, I do think he actually played pretty bravely on a lot of these points. And he did come up with some goods, especially with his backhand drop shot. He kept the ball very deep. He, uh, the, you know, I think Bodek just got so tight. At, at some point, he was not going for his first serve. He was just spinning in first serves routinely at like, you know, 80 miles per hour and just hoping that Runa doesn't miss and... Runa is just too good of a player for that, I think, and uh, and I think just his forehand in particular, which is you know kind of a big take back and something that actually like should work on clay. Like he's had some of his best results, particularly at challenger level and also in Munich the last couple of years. But when he gets so tight and nervous like that, it just sits up, like just sits up in the middle of the box, like just very easy to attack. And kind of Holger just had, could do whatever he wanted on some of those points. And man, you could just see the expressions in Bodik's face, like he was. He had played so well to get to get those leads, especially the second set and like even earlier in the match. Like he definitely stayed with Runa the whole time, and then like yeah, to see him get so tight at the end, that was that was a bit tough certainly to to watch I because was, Runa was also struggling with his own physical issues, but with the ankle. I was, and, 
I was listening to the uh, to the world well, I say the world free commentary would have been, uh, and one of the commentators said at that point, I think it was around about five four um, in that service game that he, that he, that he had um, that he basically called um, Botica an imposter with what who was actually actually on the court at that point compared to actually yeah. who had been on the court for the last two two and a bit sets before that. Um, he, yeah, he just literally went unbelievably passive throughout the entirety of, of those of those those games in which he was served, he was looking to serve it out and you cannot go passive against Runa he will just eat you up uh, in the way he did I think it didn't help as well partly given the theatrics that, that, that Holger had when it came to his injuries first of all the shoulder which then caused the injury timeout then he had it then he then he twisted his foot um or his ankle at a point shouting at the umpire saying it's unfair why are you let me go out when it's just in my foot you're going to damage my foot yada yada and swearing and whatnot and basically making it all about him and it was a tactic which worked because it really got it really did get into 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 botic's um head he wasn't able to serve it out Ruba, uh, runa was able to keep his level whereas botic fell away uh, and subsequently Runa was able to defend his title and Botic has missed out on his first ATP title and it's it's such a shame when you see that happen because you really because in those situations you want the underdog to win you want Botic to be able to go away and pick up his first title but it, it, you know you, you you have to keep on it you have to keep your level there if you want to be picking up these titles and beating these top 10 players yeah, five two up with a double break. You think that he has enough of a cushion to fall back onto, even if he's, especially with the issues that you mentioned, the shoulder, also the ankle later, but it clearly wasn't enough. Uh, his mind, I mean, he just lost his mind, right? He was just playing it yeah. slow to the Rune backhand when Holger couldn't even produce a forehand for a while. And exactly. yet, Botic uh, just was avoiding that wing for some reason. But yeah, it happens, of course. We've seen that happen with players yeah. who are going for their first ATP title and... Uh, yeah, just a very dramatic way of um usually it's not that harsh and definitely this one hurts is a is a tweet that we can um we understand uh this is like uh, kokinaki's saying um uh, what was that tweet from kokinaki's after the Murray loss this sport sucks or something like it's that. Maybe... It's a, it's a oh. game something like that yeah yeah something like that there was definitely a swear word in there mm. and um and yeah this this is very similar uh similar vibes to this for sure and it's, what, it's one of the key mm -hmm. one of the key things about the sport, uh, and and it, what sets it apart from the likes of football and whatnot is that you can't just sit back and defend. If a football team goes one 0 up, they sit back and defend. Ninety minutes rocks around, and they pick up the victory. In tennis, if you're not on the attack until the last point. You're not going to win. You're not going to win the game. There is no clock that's ticking down. It's enough, you get into X number of points before your opponent, and that's what happened. Yeah, yeah and whoever uh, came up with the tennis mm -hmm. scoring system. Whoever came up with the tennis scoring system is definitely a genius. <laughs> Isn't that like a popular tweet that's from like, yours? That's my <laughs> tweet, so I just... Yeah, I, 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 I thought so, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, um, what what do you guys think in general about Brunei? Uh, and we can, we're also going to talk about it in Banyaluka, I think, but uh, what do you think about Brunei even playing this event after making the final in Monte Carlo? Because right now with the shoulder issue, you know, the um, also maybe the ankle... Uh, isn't it going to be a problem for Madrid and Rome? We don't know that, of course, but um, just, yeah, it feels to me like it was just stupid to even try it. Um, defending champion, I know, but he was already kind of out physically in Monte Carlo, right? And then he goes to Munich to fight for 250 points. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'll let you go punch first. It's kind of a fair point. I mean, he won, he picked up 600 points in Monte Carlo and Maybe at this point, when you're just this young, you're sort of just chasing the ranking points, and you sort of just you don't really trust that if you take a week off or something like that, you're going to be in tip-top shape for 
other tournaments and you just want to keep playing and playing and carry that momentum on so yeah uh it's it's a bit tricky because like uh i guess in madrid yeah if this we'll see if this is like actually something that bothers him in madrid but like at least being a seeded player he should get like a few more days off right i, I mean I, I don't think he'll play his first match until probably friday friday or saturday right yeah, friday or saturday so maybe that will end up being like enough time and maybe mm-hmm. if he keeps progressing he gets days off in between the tournaments so with the two weeks like that's a little bit more of a cushion i would say but yeah definitely something maybe to look for him to look at in the future like if he's I ever think, in this position again i think it, it very much depends on where do you, which tournament do you absolutely want to play and want to make sure that you're good for as a warm-up tournament and if you want to be good for roland garros you need to play rome and if you and if you want to play Rome, you cannot be playing two weeks worth of tournaments before Madrid because you're going to go into Madrid, which both players look like they're going to be going into Madrid, and you end up going deep at Madrid. You are going to have absolutely nothing left to be able to play on um, play on the, the, the Rome clay, and as we know, the Rome clay is key to be able to actually know where, how to play on the Roland Garros case in terms of as a as something that's most similar in terms of the way it's built up. You know, if I was Bruno, if I was Rublev. As soon as I got to that final uh, on Saturday evening, I would have pulled out of both Bakaluka and also of um, of Munich because I would have needed that week plus a little bit more time to be able to get myself ready to go to to go to Madrid to be able to fight for that Masters title. Especially given as these two are going to be two people which are going to be contenders for that title. Now it wasn't like a Davidovich Vakina from last year where it was a, a slight fluke almost that he did get to the final um, of, of Madrid and that also oh, of. Monte Carlo, and that he could have played a week after because he knew that you know his chances in Madrid and Rome were going to be quite slim at actually going any any further. Both Bruna and Rublev will be looking to get to at least the quarterfinals, if not further, in both Madrid and Rome. And a, if you end up doing that completely, you're going to burn yourself out massively when you hit Roland Garros. Or you're going to be in a situation where you're going to go deep in Madrid and you're going to have to find yourself pulling out of Rome straight after and not getting that crucial experience on the Rome play to be able to then take into Roland Garros. Yeah, that was that was definitely true last year. I wonder if it's still gonna be true with the 1.5 week masters, though, right? Maybe now you can actually do it all. Uh, with yeah, they they basically get seeded players from from here. They get like five or six days of rest. So maybe it's actually fine. Maybe after Rome, they then they get all, over a week of rest if they after Madrid. I mean, if they, if they lose reasonably early. So I don't know. Maybe right now it's actually doable. But um, yeah, I think, I think even, some players they. Um... They have. They feel like they have an obligation to play because maybe they were given a wild card earlier in the tournament, and so they kind of think, okay, yeah, this tournament is pretty special. Like I think because Holger, like I think I don't know if this is actually true, but he asked for a wild card from Munich, and they gave it to him, and they and then he said, you know, you will trust me, you will not be let down. It'll be worth it. Give me a wild card, and then he sort of he you know he got a wild card and he won the thing last year, and maybe he didn't know how deep he was gonna go actually go in Monte Carlo, and then like once it was over, like. You know, and then also like you have the whole appearance fee thing. Maybe like that's also sort of a factor in these players' minds. It's kind of yeah, it's kind I mean, of a tricky one because James also brings up a good point about like getting burned out. I mean, essentially, you could say that's what happened to Dominic Team. I mean, that's like he's kind of the poster boy for this now, unfortunately, yeah. right? Because he used to play like 30, 30 tournaments every year when he was inside the top eight in 2016, 2017. and and he would just sort of play week after week. And in some ways, I would say Rublev is a little bit like that uh, amongst the current players, but. So it's definitely like burnout is definitely a legit thing. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think with Runa, it's especially important not to overplay because he has so much history with uh, just physical yeah. fitness issues, right? 
and uh, yeah. and that's that's for me is is just uh, but but yeah maybe you're right he actually did get a wild card I checked that and and last yeah. year so so maybe I, I can I um, can appreciate the idea of a wild card but given the fact that the way the tour schedule is now created I mean you know last year there was a two week gap between Monte Carlo starting and um, yeah. and Madrid beginning which meant that if you wanted to take a week off straight after Monte Carlo you could and then go to your two fifty because I believe Munich was in the second week of that one subsequently cool. if you wanted to then go play Barcelona straight after Monte Carlo you could then take the week off and then go then go into Madrid. There was that gap. I, I know what you're saying about the fact that there's now as a 1.5 weeks. I still think there's going to be a lot of physical ex exertion. You're going to be on the practice court. Some of them may enter doubles and may want to go a little bit further in doubles. We know Runa and Rublev are like to play in the double circuit, so that's more matches that they could have under their belt. Um, and you know, at the moment, given the way that both players played and given the fact that the injuries that are now being at risk to Runa, I would have them on high upset alert at the beginning of Madrid just because they're going to be completely burned out when they actually arrive there and play their first match on a on a Friday and a Saturday. And it's also key to remember that they're not going to leave Munich and Bacaluca until tomorrow, late tomorrow afternoon at the latest. They'll have Tuesday, Wednesday, possibly Thursday. If not, they're going to probably be stuck on a doubles match on Thursday if they've got a doubles partner. So they've only got a few days to get used to the courts there. And then they'll be straight into their into their contest. It's you you realistically as a player playing at that level, going that deep in tournament, those deep that deep in tournaments, you need to have oh, at least a solid week where you're not going to be doing any sort of major tennis and you're just going to be doing normal things in the gym, resting, getting yourself ready, and then hitting Madrid hard. There was also another question about the final where Ghosty said that his lady love uh, told him that Rune was trolling a bit with the injury and MTOs, uh, and he asks is if that is that right. I guess there are many opinions about it, right? Do you guys have any strong feelings about it? Like something was clearly wrong in both cases. Was it a bit yeah. more theatrical than it could have been? Maybe. That... Maybe. Sometimes it sort of feels like he's being wronged, maybe by the umpire or by the officials or something like that. And then, you know, that maybe rubs people the wrong way. Or maybe the, you know, the timing, like he was just, it was just before he was about to serve on one of the occasions. And it was you know maybe if it happens more than once in a set like so certainly some players it'll be interesting to hear what botik actually has to say like about this final like just just his thoughts in general about the whole thing i think maybe that's the most fascinating part of this whole final was actually like you know what is like the sort of the psychology and everything going on in botik's head rather than like maybe the runa theatrics i'm not so sure i mean this is certainly he's certainly going to be a player that divides opinion like for a majority of people like they're going to they're, in some ways, it's maybe good for tennis, right? Because it's going to have more people talking about it, and people are going to. Villains are good, right? Taylor yeah, Fritz. Yeah. Had and, that. and at least he backs it up with his game as well. Like he's, you know, you know, if you're going to be arrogant and you, then you got to like really back it up. <laughs> I think so far, Runa has been able to do that. So that's at least something in his favor. I think very much when it came to the, those two injuries and the theatrics, I, I, I think I do think the shoulder one was a bit of a, a bit theatrical. He was down at the, in that game. He wanted to do something to try and disrupt Botic, and he and it kind of, uh, and unfortunately that didn't work. But I do think when it came to the to, to the um, when it came to the twisted ankle, near enough, or well, the attempted the twisted ankle, that that was slightly unfortunate and, and unlucky, and he was uh, and he was sort of yeah. hobbling from that. But we did get a lot from you know, Runa likes to like, likes to you know shout on court and say whatever and whatnot, and you know it's good for us as uh, uh, well. It's good for us as you know as, as fans watching it because we get, get to be slightly more entertained, see what they're saying on there, you know, seeing how they react and whatnot. Because we just don't want you know two people that are 
very you know cut and dry in terms of they just do nothing and their and, and their tones are exactly the same throughout the match regardless if they're winning or losing. We do want to see some you know some fight or at least some some aggro from them so that we can really get get behind that and get behind the story of, of that drama. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. Someone else, I guess, that we should talk about from uh, Munich was Taylor Fritz. Uh, even on the again, I'm going to mention the show that we did last week, French, but uh, of course, a lot yeah, of the yeah. topics were kind of similar. But uh, we yeah, talked about similar. sort of Fritz finally getting a full clay season, right? And he made another semi here. Um, what did you guys think of, of like what he did this week? Uh, a bit of a struggle against Fujovic earlier, then uh, of course, a win over team and then the loss to, to Van der Zanshoek. Yeah, the consistency is definitely there for Fritz, and it's transferred over to the clay. And obviously, the win against Team was was good because Team is slowly starting to hit his forehand a bit better. I think the last two three weeks, and certainly a little bit closer. But obviously, still not ready to beat a lot of the top ten players. I think Team, but it was very similar in the sense he had a great quarterfinal against last week. It was against Tsitsipas this week against Team, and then sort of in the big points against Botic, he Botic was a little was a little bit able to expose the. Uh, you know, limitations, athleticism, limitations that Fritz still sort of has in his game uh, on clay, which he's kind of working through. But um, but it's just like he didn't play the big points as well as he probably would have liked. It was kind of the same story against Rublev in the last two sets when they played in Monte Carlo. And I think Botic in general has been pretty tricky, actually, for Fritz. I mean, they played last year at the Davis Cup. That was more on a neutral surface, on a hardcore, like sort of indoors September. And uh, it was a very similar type of match and scoreline and... I think uh, you know Botic has a lot of junk in his game that he's able to uh, throw to a lot of different. Uh, particularly, he's a guy who really plays well when he plays against um, players in the top ten. He has a pretty good record, and he seems to always be a little bit com- confounding. You don't quite know what's, what he's going to do with his forehand. Is he going to be passive? Is he going to pull the trigger? It's a little bit like he keeps you on edge um, with his shot selection. So maybe uh, I think Fritz would be a little disappointed in how he played the tie break and maybe the, some parts of the. Second set, but I think he, he he'll move on. Like I think he'll he'll probably I still expect him to have decent showings in Madrid, Rome, and Roland Garros. So from that standpoint, it's still overall a pretty positive week, right? I think the overarching thing with Taylor as well is is that saying that he put on the camera, which is USA clay, and the question mark when it comes to actually him and his ability to play on the play on the surface. It's it's quite remarkable, really, that you know that uh, an American tennis players and American tennis players tend to not be very good on clay, and for him yeah. to be as consistent as he is, and this is also very good for him in, in terms of if he actually wants to remain in the top ten and to go a little bit further, is that he's going to have to pick up at least a decent chunk of points at events like Monte Carlo, at like Madrid, uh, and whatnot, so that he can he can maintain that in those in those top ten areas. And yeah, we've got a great action shot of it, of him there sliding on the clay as he go, as he goes for goes for the ball. And yeah, he's just proving to, proving to be a man of all surfaces, which is um which is good for him and uh, uh, and and what's well, slightly good for America. Um, yeah, and also um, when it comes to Fritz, I've just noticed something. Do you guys know for uh, like how long the streak of him uh, reaching a quarterfinal in an ATP Tour event is already? At least, mm. at least the quarterfinals, yeah. of course. I know he didn't get to the quarters at the Paris Masters because just Simon took him out. But I think every other event that he's played after that, he's done quarterfinal or better. I mean, at yeah. tour level, of course, if you take out Australia, right? But, I mean, I didn't. Um, I actually yeah. was thinking of Australia, but you're you're exactly right. Yeah, since Australia, uh, he also played the United Cup, but of course, we can't yeah. recount it. Uh, the second round exit to Popperin at the Australian Open, 
And then he has a semifinal uh, title, semifinal, quarterfinal, quarterfinal, semifinal, semifinal, which is just quite absurd. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's That's... raised his floor. So his, uh, his mm -hmm. BC level is winning him a lot more matches than even last year because last year he went on some good stretches. But then he had long injury layoffs, like the entire clay court season. He didn't, you know, his foot was in a boot. And then like the start of the North American clay court season, he was injured again. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, no points for Wimbledon. That was true for everyone. But, um, yeah, I think he, he's, like, backing up what he did last year. So that's that's good for American men's tennis. He's still by far the most consistent player, I would say, even more so than Tiafo and maybe even Paul yeah. at this point, although Paul is pretty close this year. And also, if he, um, like, if you take out that Popperin loss and somehow put him in the semis where he would lose to Djokovic, that's, let's yeah, assume that, that's know, what would have happened, yes. then he would have been fourth in the race, actually, ahead of Sinner. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, is just pretty crazy to think about. Right now, he's at number seven for anyone wondering. Okay. Uh, weird players in the top right. 10 include Kachanov and Nori, but otherwise, uh, otherwise, it's basically what, you know, the guys that you would expect. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyone else that you guys would want to talk about from from Munich? Uh, yeah, I mean, O'Connell played a very good match against Zverev. Um, I think most, I, I mean, I certainly was expecting Zverev and Runa to face off in the semis. Uh, so for O'Connell to get that win is, is pretty big. He seems to be uh, another one of those players with... Uh, uh, I, I, I don't really think he's a little, he's like Vassetti. Like they, they both play pretty different in terms of their trajectory and of shots and stuff like that, but O'Connell is certainly capable of uh, being a good disruptor, I think, for top players because of what he can do, especially with his backhand. He has decent amount of variety. I like the top spin when he has time. Uh, I think he serves pretty well. He's got a pretty well-rounded game. The consistency isn't always there week to week, but we saw, like for instance, when he played Medvedev in uh, one of those tournaments, I think Doha, he pushed him pretty hard. I think that was the hardest I've seen that yeah. Medvedev had to work to win any of those matches in that whole Middle East and Rotterdam stretch. So um, not much of a surprise, but I guess really good that he managed his nerves and in the big moments and actually like pulled it off. I've got a so I've got a shoot, but I will give you my player that I was looking out for uh, look, that I was quite pleased to see at least some a better performance from. And I will say that as a Brit was Carl. Edmund, we, I think we know. Yeah, it was Carl Edmund in his in his first uh, round match. Oh, my guess was my, my guess was different. Okay, never mind. Okay, because <laughs> uh, uh, Carl, you know, is becoming came back from a really serious injury, which laid him off pretty much over the entire COVID period, uh, and into the beginning <laughs> bit here, really <laughs> got the results straight up there. Um, but he's been, you know, he's he's been quite unfortunate when it comes to his um, protected ranking. Um, Positions in terms of players he's been draw, been draw, drawing in main main tour events where he's just been unfortunately railroaded effectively, or, or or at least it's been quite straightforward for the opponent to beat Carl. But in this game, Carl really showed a lot, a lot of a much more of a competitive edge, which was excellent to see, and was able to actually hang in there a lot more with Husler, who was a decent player, who's certainly a decent player, and and for Carl to be able to take a set, to be able to take, keep it close, and, it, and realistically, he should have won that first set as well. There was a lot of chances that he had had along there. Um, and yeah, and it's and just as a Brit, I'm really pleased to see Carl start to show a little bit more form um, as he's come back from the injury bit. But like I said, I've got the shoes off now, but it's been great being on, uh, and I'll leave you to talk about that back of Luca. Um, ah, okay. Sorry, I I, I didn't re understand something. And then I was very confused um, by James. Yes. <laughs> now I actually watched Carl uh, Edmund um, the week before um, Munich in a 25k, and it was so fun to just see him on you know on a, on a 
crappy ITF stream playing oh. Lingua Levi and Erhard. That was just so weird and absurd. But uh, yeah, back in the day, he used to be a fantastic clay player, of course. That that forehand that once took a set of Nadal, right? Just incredible yeah. topspin on it, and and it fits the fits the surface so well. But maybe after he, maybe in his comeback, maybe in uh, just a couple of uh, well, in how slow it's been. Maybe it's actually gonna be more helpful for him to play on something faster. But, um, but yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't watch the Hisler match, so I'm not sure if there were like any good signs. But yeah, interestingly, as James was talking about Kyle Edmund, I immediately thought of Hyun Chung because they both made the semifinals mm -hmm. of Australia in the same event. And so it's uh, it's good to see that now they're at least both back on on tour because they were a pretty mainstay for 2018, 2019, and uh, it yeah. seems like a different era altogether. But now they're back, so. You reminded me to check if they scheduled him for tomorrow, but they didn't. So it's probably gonna be Tuesday or or maybe even Wednesday, uh, when uh, when Chang plays his first match against Jordan Thompson, of course, in the Seoul Challenger. Um, yes, I guess with that we could maybe uh, lock up Munich and then just head sure. to Banyaluka, where of course we had the one and only defending champion failing. It's not the same place. It's not the same courts. But still, similar conditions, the same, the same event basically, uh, and Andrei Rublev lost to Dusan Lajovic in the final. Uh, maybe uh, you know the, the the thing that we were talking about with Rune. Do you think that it actually even made sense for Rublev to come to Banja Luka after winning Monte Carlo? Not really. I think he should have skipped it. To be honest, uh, after listening to James and also like you know what actually ended up happening, like didn't really make a lot of sense. You know, for him to go and play there. I mean, he. He also, like, in between, uh, I think, winning Monte Carlo and going to Banja Luka, he also attended uh, a ceremony with Daniel Medvedev, right, <laughs> as the godfather of his kids. So I think, uh, yeah, it was just, it was it was going to be a lot to ask for him to go, like, all the way here. Um, he did have, like, a chance, especially with Djokovic out. But, yeah, I mean, he like we established earlier, he's kind of a player that just loves to play week after week. And probably saw another good opportunity to, you know, add to his collection of titles and certainly, uh, yeah, maybe would have been better off skipping it, but nonetheless, a very good week for Dusan Lajovic, right? I mean, uh, I kind of Best think of the of high career being, yeah, I, I mean, it's a valid question. Like, was it even better than 2019 yeah. uh, Monte Carlo? Because he did, he, he beat Medvedev and team on this run, but here he beats the entire Serbian Davis Cup team roster, basically. <laughs> <laughs> And and Rublev, I mean, I, actually, the only one missing is Laszlo Gera, but he beat Laszlo Gera in Rio. So I guess this year he's beaten all of them. And so is so. he un, undefeated against Serbians this year, four and zero? Should so, be yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. from what I see, yeah, yeah. he should yeah, yeah. be. Yeah, I, I would actually put it over Monte Carlo. Of course, it's not as important ranking wise. Of course, it's not as like high profile. Uh, but uh, for me, it was actually probably bigger. I know just cool. to just to, just to beat Djokovic and Rublev in the same week, uh, Rublev of now because he also beat Rublev on the way to his Umak title in 2019. But that was still kind of different. I think Rublev was in fact like 70 something in the ATP rankings or something like that. And uh, yeah, just com of course comparing these two titles doesn't really make sense. Banyaluka and Umak. The the Umak one was uh, one of the weakest in the, the, that year. Uh, Attila Balas in the final, and I think that kind of. Uh, says it all. Sorry to Attila Balash, but after well, never mind. That's a topic for another day. I wanted to start talking about protected rankings already, but no. Uh, as you said, I think for me, Rublev, Djokovic beating him in the beating them in the same week, um, 
showing a level that I didn't think he still had, right? I mean, he had a couple of good um, Golden Swing results, of course, which already was a surprise after his 2022 campaign when he was basically only getting results in challengers. Uh, but uh, yeah, now he comes in into it comes in 2013, good golden swing, and suddenly has this. Uh, even if you actually thought that maybe he was gonna start declining, of course, the Djokovic loss looks a little. Well, the Djokovic win looks a little weaker in hindsight now that Nola has pulled out of Madrid. Uh, but still, the probably the best week of his career. Maybe a little bit of a shame he didn't do it in Belgrade <laughs> rather than Vanyaluka. Oh, but yeah. I think it it, it still yes. must mean so much, right? Right, yeah, and he was down six three in that second set against um, against yeah. Djokovic. Of course, Djokovic had a f- easy overhead and he missed a forehand, but still, he had to hold his nerves and he played he played really well in that match. Like even you know, and, and then against Kachmanovic, Kachmanovic served for it, so it could have been straight sets Kachmanovic. And you know, I think Lajovic showed quite a lot of grit and uh, like really just uh, played super well. Like I mean, we know what he's really good at. I mean, he's the clay gives him a lot more time, especially his top seven backhand is is uh, fantastic when he connects I, I particularly like how easy his service like it's very he's <laughs> he's very easy on the eye to watch uh, i think he's pretty well rounded and he likes to come forward he has good touch he's uh can build points very nicely his point construction is very good and especially on a, on slower courts uh he has he has a lot more options but he also has bread and butter shots that work really well and he can he has a good kick serve like i feel like his game is pretty complete. I'm always kind of surprised when he's not producing results more <laughs> consistently. Like, especially last year was a real shocker for me. I really didn't expect him to go, you know, that far out, uh, like be that be stuck on the challenger tour for that long. So it's nice to see that he sort of translated into more main tour results this year. I think those matches against Carlos were also maybe a learning lesson. He's lost to Carlos three times this year, but I think particularly the one in Rio, uh, he actually played very well. Like it was, it was very competitive. Two sets made Carlos work really hard. So I think, uh, and then I think he went into Miami and had had a good week there as well. He beat Andy Murray and he beat Cressy, who's not easy to play, of course, uh, on any given day. So he's uh, actually carried it over. I mean, in Monte Carlo, he didn't actually even qualify, but he ended up, you know, getting into the main draw. And uh, did he lose to? Who did he, who did he lose to? Gakov was was he one of the guys who lost to Gakov? No, he lost to um, ah, uh, was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Umber, yeah, because Umber ended up yeah qualifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew is uh, giving us this point for the second time already here, uh, so we should probably try to um, talk oh, yeah. about it. He would simply said earlier that Rublev needs a drop shot, and and yeah, that that the conditions looked very slow in the Banyaluka final today, and that um, even though. Uh, you know that was the case. Rublev was still trying to power through the clay, and it didn't work. Um, yeah, what do you think? He got about very that? impatient. How... He got very impatient in the third mm-hmm. set, especially. I mean, he started uh, really just um, pummeling ground strokes. wasn't really thinking very clearly. I think it might have been fatigue, might have been tiredness, but he really didn't. Uh, like he he went down double break in the third set very quickly, and you know Lajovic, he gave Lajovic that extra bit of cushion. So when he did serve serve for it the first time. And he got a bit tight. Uh, you know, he had at least an insurance break, and he was probably going to get the job done. But I think uh, Rublev, yeah, sometimes in those moments, I think uh, this is an interesting point actually, because it made me think that if you look at the top ten right now on the ATP side, you have Fritz, you have even Sinner and Rublev, and those three guys, amazing ball strikers, but they don't really have a backhand slice. And I think in uh, today's game, that could be a very useful, you know, weapon to to have in certain situations. Maybe even when you're tired and you want to throw different looks at your opponent but also just 
generally, I think it'll help them a lot more on the grass and players like that. Uh, like, you know, we were just praising Fritz's versatility, and I think Rublev is pretty versatile on all surfaces as well, and so is Sinner so far. Um, but I think just, yeah, if they develop like a good backhand slice, that could be something that could make them even more dangerous, don't you think? And maybe it could help them in situations like this. Yeah, not not maybe necessarily the case with Fritz, but yeah, with Rublev and Sinner, we even again, I'm gonna mention that we talked about it on the show last on your on your show last week, where uh, we said that they have some sort of similarities in their game in how yeah. um, they are just very good ball strikers. Uh, Sinner, of course, the more explosive one, but still they oh. they they are kind of similarly one dimensional. And I think yeah. also Fritz doesn't fit into what I'm going to say right now, but both Rublev and Sinner. Anytime they hit a drop shot, you just have the sort of idea that this is the first one they have ever hit. Like someone, yeah. someone gave a rocket. To I do a think kid and I do think Sinner is Sinner is using it a lot more, and he's thinking like it's more of a conscious thing in his brain now. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, I need to actually use the drop shot. He used it quite well against in Australia for those two sets he won against Tsitsipas, and maybe at times against Alcaraz, I've seen him pull it out. Tried against Medvedev in the final, yeah, but was, all of them. I honestly don't enough. think there was a point that he won after 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 no, a drop no, no, shot. No. I think he was over seven on drop shots. I, I counted yeah. that in that match. It was, it was, it was not good. But, um, but yeah, like I mean, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a valid point. It would have probably helped him out at certain points here. But uh, yeah, if you're Rublev, I mean, if they play this match like ten times, you know, Lajovic probably doesn't win more than twice. But, yeah, um, it's not a glaring know. issue here because, like, as you said, like Rublev was still the big favorite, and most most of the time he wins this. But for all power base liners or however you want to call them, it should be quite obvious to yes. try to develop a different way to finish the point. But um, right. you know, for Sinner, we can see he's trying. So you're right, yeah. or maybe that's just something that he has, as he, as you said, Rublev. Uh, probably not so much. Yeah. But but again, uh, you kind of yeah. have to question as well, like you know whether it made sense. You've just won a thousand. How motivated are you going to be? Yeah. The, the it's not really like... that much time also during the year to like really tinker and work around on these things, especially if oh, you're yeah. playing as much as Rublev is and also just like the week to week, like the rhythm between practices and matches. It just makes it really hard to like actually have a proper time off to like develop these things. And, you know, even the off season, maybe in the month of December, maybe after Wimbledon, but there's always some clay tournaments Post Wimbledon as well, but yeah, um. yeah. Uh, my frankly, after Djokovic went out, my expected finalist was Kuzmanovic probably, and I guess that's true for yeah, almost mine too. everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. But but uh, as we said, he he was actually up on Lajovic, then then I was involved in the match that we would call probably the most dramatic of the week. Uh, but uh, right now, of course, Rune and Vontazatov came along. What do you think about Kachmanovic? Like, what do you think he needs to do to, I think, get his game to the next level? Because we saw him really peak at this point last year and also a little bit this year with, like, getting to finals and stuff like that. But, like, do you think yeah. he, just needs, he just needs a little bit more in these big matches? Like, he's good from the baseline, but he doesn't really, like, have a good transition game. He doesn't really like to finish at the net. Um so and and that's hard. a pro- and that's a problem for sure, yeah. Like, um, I believe that last year, even when he had that purple patch, of course, there was that phenomenal match against uh, Carlos Alcaraz, which, of course, yeah. uh, you know, we'll be mentioning probably until, um, <laughs> well, until, until we, until we die. Like, I don't know. <laughs> until Kuzmanovic retires, 
yeah. but certainly against top players he has looked kind he has looked kind of underpowered he doesn't really have a consistent way to win points against them yeah and uh even though his strokes are super sharp uh, there's just not that much he can do um the serve when he was serving like he did in Estoril until the final that's oh. something right yeah. just get some points somewhere <laughs> get some free points get some get some points that's that's yeah. generally uh, i think the case ghost is asking who is rublev's coach still fernando vicente right yeah still the, um yeah the, the the former um tennis player ghost you might remember him i guess <laughs> i think that's that's how um you know that's how old you are huh anyway um yeah what were we talking about i just I got lost Oh yeah, we were just talking about Kitsmanovic. Oh, Kitsmanovic, yeah. Yeah, it, it's super hard for him to find easy points. And, and that's just something that's been really hampering him in, in all the matches against top players, but the one against Alcaraz. But I guess you somehow just, you know, sometimes you're going to have that one insane performance, right? And and it's not like he was winning easy points against Alcaraz either. He was yeah. just uh, a ball machine. Yeah. So it's it it's clearly not that easy for for Getzmanovic to improve from here. I I think he might kind of might I think he might be stuck, you know, as as this sort of a uh, top thirty ish guy, uh, and that's yeah. of course fair. I mean, not everyone has has more potential to go upwards, but I'm sure that's not something that he's going to be satisfied in, given you know how good he was in the juniors and etc. Was he the the world number one? I think I think he was. Yeah, I think and... he was junior number one, and he beat Tsitsipas in the Orange Bowl. Uh, yeah. I want to say 2016, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so given that, I think uh, you know the expectations were definitely high, but um, for now, it's it's really hard, kind of hard to see him. Um, Ghosty says meow meow rallies too much. Um, but yeah, that that's that, yeah. that's kind of related, right? He just yeah. doesn't have easy ways to win points. Even when he played, for example, Shellbike here in the opening round, it was just clear that. Uh, he cannot really overpower this guy. So, you know, he starts using his court craft, he starts using his variety, and the match gets tough for Ketsmanovic, even though it theoretically shouldn't. You know, theoretically, the difference in class should be way too high, but that's just not uh, how Ketsmanovic operates, at least most of the time. You know, in, in a story, we were just praising his serve, and um, for at least a few matches, he was really getting some insane results on serve, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think maybe another player from Banya Luka that mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking of is uh, Borna Choric. He's really sort of fallen off, hasn't he? I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, his most notable result since winning Cincinnati is probably getting to the Vienna semifinal. Where mm-hmm. He, lost to he also beats, beats Tsitsipas yeah. there, right? Yes, yeah. and I think that Tsitsipas match at the United Cup was one that, yeah, you know, I'll always circle because he was up 5-2 in the third set. And yeah, Tsitsipas had a lead and then Torch had the lead, and then he didn't wasn't able to close it. So, but really, like since then, there hasn't. I mean, he's on a six match losing streak or five match losing streak, something like that. And then at one point, he was he was up against Medvedev. I want to say in the second set in Dubai, and then he lost twenty one points in a row. And I think since then, it's uh, really kind of gone downhill. Like he lost to Mochan in Indian Wells last. And year. against Eubanks, he was also up, right? He was yeah, like he was six, up a set, three, three one, yeah, yeah right. something like that. Yeah, yeah. And against yeah. Eubanks, you know, if you're up a set and a break, you like you really should be finishing the match. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think you're right that like that that Sissipas match at the United Cup made us think that he's gonna have a good year because yes. there was just nothing to suggest otherwise. And then it was just yeah. straight up downhill. Um, 
Yeah, kind of hard to say. He had a couple of these good weeks last year, which one of them was Cincinnati, uh, Vienna as well, and also uh, the, the challenger he won in Parma, where he just served like Borna Cioric never served in his career, even before yeah. the injuries. And also he was hitting his forehand so well, yeah. somehow injecting pace out of it, but it, it, it didn't last. Uh, he's still almost in the top ten, top uh, top 20, right? But of course, that's um, not really going to hold up after Cincinnati. Right now in the ATP race, by the way, what would yeah. be your guess um, where where Chorich is? Let me is? guess. Uh, I want to say like 90. Yeah, 96. Oh my goodness, I was close. Okay, yeah, that, that's what it feels like because like, like where are the points? It's, it, you know, yeah. there's not that many. It's... That's a very good guess, but uh, also quite shocking still to see him there. Yeah, like for, for Dubai quarters, right? He must have gotten like 90 because it's a... Uh, yeah. And I guess yeah. for the United Cup also um, a fair yeah. amount. You know, he tends to do well on the faster surfaces, and you wouldn't normally expect that because, I mean, his first title came in uh, in Omag, was it? Like, he, he won his first title in, was it 2017? No, no, 20... Um, yeah, 2017, but it was Marrakesh. Marrakesh, okay, yeah, one of those, yeah, yeah. So he but he actually has there, an, a hardcore title, a grasscourt title, and a clay yes. title, yeah. Yeah, so, like, all his best results have come on the faster surfaces, like Halle, where he beat uh, he beat Zverev, and then he beat Federer in the final. Federer, and then... yeah. Yeah, and then Cincinnati, obviously, and then even Shanghai in 2018. He had a really mm-hmm, good run there, yeah. beat Federer again. So, like... Yeah, it seems like he just have, has a couple of these opponents that he always does well against, and mostly that's right. Federer and Tsitsipas. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever yes. his form is, he's just going to always trouble these guys. Of course, Federer, not really, not anymore. Yeah. But it makes sense, right? They, they play yes. tennis somewhat similarly, so... Uh, it may it yeah. makes sense that he would be some sort of a kryptonite for for Tsitsipas especially uh, the, the last yeah. couple of matches. Um, yeah, anything uh, anything else that we need to talk about? We've got one hour and twelve minutes. Usually that's more or less where we finish. But if we have anything to talk about, of course, there's no time limit here. Uh, Jane also asked, "Has Chorich been good on clay?" I don't have a, I don't even remember. Like not his best, but he he had some fine results, right? Um, yeah. I think yeah, there I was one year where time. I expected him to get to the fourth round and he lost a close match to Struff. Uh, ah, 11 yeah. 9 to Struff, 2019 yeah, round Garros. 2019. Yeah. yeah, that was the third round, I believe. And then he would have, and, he would have, uh, he would have uh, faced Djokovic. So that probably would have been the end of that run. But yeah, um, that's the same year that when he also played Federer in that uh, Rome match, which was quite oh, famous yeah, as yeah, well. He had two match points there. And, yeah. yeah. So, Definitely not weak on clay, like that. That's yeah. not. That's not really something you would say. But also probably not his very best. But nothing. Um, nothing exciting. Did you guys discuss the whole Rune medical timeout thing? Yes, we did. Um, yeah. yeah. Basically said that um, the shoulder. Um, well, he was clearly hampered. He couldn't hit his forehand for a while. Painkillers kicked in. Uh, that was fine. Then he had the ankle. Tough to say yeah. how much of a sprain it is, right? We're, we're just gonna know. Um, what well, anxious for opinions? I think James was like, um, quite more a bit more, um, stern in his Rune critique, yeah. uh, in terms of that than uh, than we were. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it still like wasn't why he won the match, you know, yeah. he mostly won it because Botting van der Zandt, who just totally lost his mind, and of course, four Pretty match much. points as well on return, right? Yeah. Um, and that fourth, that fourth one was so incredible. Uh, cool. That was the one that he finished with a volley on the on top of the net. Yeah, that was um, a really beautiful point by Runa, honestly. Yeah, there there was like a big shot that Botic just got over the net, right? And and a couple of errors as as, as you would expect as well on the on the other ones. 
Also, Matthew has uh, some question to you. Tell us the truth now. How did you tweet that stat about Lajovic winning his last match against all the, those top players? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I just remembered because I remembered he beat Rude last year in Madrid. I remember now you have Rublev. This year he already beat Murray. Uh, Medvedev, I remember he beat him in Rotterdam. And I don't think they played since. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, and then I remember the team Medvedev wins in Monte Carlo. And so, like, I mean, that's most of the list uh, right there. And then mo most of those wins have come this year or last year in Rude's case. So it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, like, it's kind of apart from Alcaraz, I guess. And I, I was looking at the most recent Slam champions, you know. Most of these guys are have one of Slam and they're active players. <laughs> um, pretty much the, only with the exception of Nadal and Alcaraz, he's beaten everyone else uh, on that on that this so he definitely is very good on clay like that's where most of his top wins have come um yeah mafia just said wow impressive <laughs> that's that's very weird Vans, but it's still impressive but also <laughs> like how but okay <laughs> that's uh that's i guess uh just um well, that makes you who you are, just like for Carlos Alcaraz, it makes him who he is. These, uh, you know, these incredible, these incredible gets made make him who he is. Um, as we, as we said in the beginning. Sometimes the they show. just randomly strike. Like I'm just brushing my teeth, and I'm just like, wait a second, <laughs> him, 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 him. Okay, wow, that's cool. I'll just tweet it. Literally, sometimes it's just that. <laughs> okay, um, I guess that's a nice thing to finish on. Uh, Jane also said that she was anxious to hear our opinions and that, and that she's gonna go back to listen. Uh, which uh, we're going to allow her to do uh, by finishing the show right now. Uh, I think we covered James. it all. This was, this was quite We uh, did. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we definitely did. Three events this week, uh, of course. Uh, I'm actually not sure if it's going to be because it's it's called ATP Weekly. So is it going to also happen during Madrid? I have no clue. I have to ask John about that. So, um, yeah. you know. Not not telling you guys that, that we're that I'm gonna be back with uh, probably with Mario, but we'll see next week uh, for Madrid because I'm not sure if we're gonna be back next week, but we definitely will in two weeks' time. So uh, anyhow, thanks Vance for being here with us. Also, thanks to James who already left, and uh, yeah, uh, it was fun talking about Banja Luka, Barcelona, Munich, and see you next time on some other talking tennis show. And also, oh, feel invited to the. Um, of course, feel invited to the uh, WTA Weekly of Nick with uh, Rene Stubbs, especially if you want to catch some trolling in the chat. Maybe I'm going to create a fake account and oh. also help out. Okay, okay, okay. I actually didn't, I completely misheard you. I thought you said okay. that Rene Stubbs is coaching Nick Kyrgios. I didn't know you that's... meant Nick. I didn't know you meant Nick from Talking Tennis. Okay. That... Ah, oh, okay, that's what, okay, okay. That's, yeah, I because really you, you, you said that, yeah, me too. You said that and you said like, I don't understand. Uh, I, I I said something like I don't understand, and I didn't know if I didn't catch a reference or something. Oh, okay, 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 okay. That makes. I, I never made sense. the like the connection between Nick and Nick. That, that yeah. this is what you you might have. I, I thought you know because Australian Australian coach like I. I makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Well, but, um, but... <laughs> no, it's gonna be Nick Carter and uh, Rene yeah. Stubbs tomorrow on the WT <laughs> Weekly. Not uh, Nick <laughs> Kyrgios and Rene Stubbs. <laughs> Uh, but anyhow, um, on that uh, very funny note, uh, thanks, guys. And yeah. uh, I think John is not there, so I'm just going to end the broadcast myself. Uh, right. And yeah, see you on some other shows. Yep. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.